Now, we're going to carry on uh, with our series in Ephesians this morning. Um, just looking back, we're still in chapter 2 this week. We're going to finish chapter 2. We're moving on to chapter 3 next week. Um, we've looked at how, at the beginning of Ephesians 2, man is dead without God, how we are enslaved to the devil and worldly ways and the wickedness of our nature. But God, by his grace and mercy, has saved us and set us free. Um, we're going to go through uh, chapter 2, 11 to 22. Adam went through um, part of it last time where Ali was talking about earlier about the peace of God, the, the, the peace that God has given us. So we, but we're just going to go through it all again today. And I don't know about you, but have you ever felt left out? Not in the in crowd, or maybe you were picked last for the team at school. Um, and that feeling kind of not being included can be very painful, can't it? I don't know if you've experienced that. I, I know I've, I've experienced that in my life. And we see kind of division all around us and throughout the history of mankind, even in faith, and different faiths, we've seen Catholics and Protestants, even in Islam we see the Shia and the Sunni, there's been Arabs and Israelis, um, there was the apartheid in South Africa, All, always division, Rwanda, there's the Hutus and the Tutsis that ended up with millions of people being killed. And we kind of see division all around us in the world today, I don't know if you've noticed that. Anyone else notice that? Yeah. Yeah, good, I'm glad you're paying attention. And, and it was the same when Paul is writing this letter. There had been the Greeks and the barbarians. There was the Romans and the Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul is writing to the people then and to us now that the gospel is the answer to all of this animosity. And in the church in this day that Paul's writing to, there were Romans and Jews, slaves and slave owners, male and female. And Jesus came to break down the walls that divided and to bring a new community. Jesus said, I will build my church. And a new people group exists. And it applies to us today as we come into the church. What defines us most is our Christ-likeness. That before we, that we belong to Jesus before anything else. And in a time where there is a battle going on for identity, this is where we truly find our identity. Right from the beginning. God wanted a people. God wanted the nations to come to him. He made a promise to Abraham, Abraham, that he would bless the whole earth through him. And when you decide to follow Jesus, becoming a Christian, something changes. You don't just start to live differently, though hopefully that happens, and follow some new rules. There's a heart change. There's a change of kingdom. You're in a different kingdom, and you become a people. You are chosen. And we get to be a part of his church, and it's something special. We don't just join a church and get on a rotor. So this is something special. We are his people, his church. And this is what Paul is looking at in this next section of Ephesians, what the church is and how we as Gentiles have been drawn into the promises of God. So we're going to read from chapter 2, verse 11. So, therefore, remember... That at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Lord, let your word come alive to us today and speak to us. Prepare our hearts, Lord God, as we look at this, these verses again. Lord, we want to be more like you. Prepare our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. So, from verse 11, it starts with a therefore. And whenever there is a therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. <laughs> and normally it's calling for a response to what has been previously said. What was said was that we were saved by grace, not by works. We were dead in our sins. And verse 11 tells us the implications of what has happened to us in our corporate identity in Christ. The truth we've just heard about, it has implications in our life. Therefore, remember. Previously, we've been told what we were in relation to God. Now he's telling us where we are in relation to God's favoured people or community called the uncircumcised. No covenant relationship with God. Now, I'm hoping most of you will be aware of what it means to be circumcised and what it represented to the people of Israel. That the male Jewish boy would have his foreskin removed as a sign of the Jewish people being separated from the rest of the earth. That they, they were God's separated people, special people. And Paul kind of almost is speaking dismissively, he says, which is made by flesh, in the flesh by the hands. So there's circumcision and uncircumcision. And what Paul is making clear here, God wants a circumcision inwardly, a circumcision of the heart. And we see in uh, Romans 2, 28 to 29, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So, the, the Jewish people were the people of the promises of God. And we Gentiles, that's everyone outside of Israel, born outside of the Jewish nation, are aliens to the commonwealth and to the promises. Verse 12 says, we had no hope and were without God. We were unaware of these promises. And sadly, Israel kind of twisted her privileges into favoritism at this time and despised Gentiles as 
heathens. Even occasionally if a Jewish girl would marry a Gentile boy, sometimes the family would conduct a funeral the same day to say she is dead to us. Some more extreme thought that God only made Gentiles to make hell hotter, like kindling for the fire. So the tragedy is Israel had forgotten her vocation of becoming a light to the nations. We see in uh, Genesis 12, 1-3, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, God is making promises. He's made promises and covenants with his people throughout the Old Testament. Abraham to bless the nations. Moses, that the people would be his treasured people, keeping the commandments. And David, that his kingdom would be everlasting. And Paul says, you Gentiles, you are strangers to this and have no experience of it. A theologian called uh, William Hendrickson who writes on this, said we were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. Not much hope there, is there? And as Adam talked about last time, when we looked at this, the Bible often says it's not good to look back at the former things or pine for the previous life. But here it's good to, it seems to say it's good to see where we've come from and remember our former state. I remember giving testimony last time, and it did me good. It reminded me of what a hopeless state I was in and how far God has brought me. That God broke into my corpse-like existence. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But I have received grace. We have received grace. Saved by Jesus in our hopeless state. Received grace and saved for a purpose. But the good works that he's prepared beforehand. And Paul is saying, remember, remember where you were. I I like to remind my kids about this, that we are part of a family, not just our own little family, not just the church family, that when we're reading the stories in the Old Testament, we're connected to this. We're going through the the life of David at the moment with with our kids, and uh, with varying degrees of success, by the way. It's not always as uh, amazing as it sounds. And I, this week I was getting my, we were doing the story of David and Goliath, and um, in the New Living Translations, what I read with the kids, it talks about how Goliath strutted before uh, the Israelites. So I got the girls up to see how they thought Goliath might strut before him. So it's, it's just thinking about this as, a, as families, how do we engage our kids? So it's just a little tip here. I was getting them up to strut as Goliath would strut. I've got to be honest, Goliath was a little bit more camp than I thought he would be. <laughs> and the girls kind of were like walking like they were on a, you know, a catwalk model uh, strip. But anyway, but, but this is what we're a part of. And it's good to connect it. Say, hey, guys, we're, we're part of something that goes back thousands of years to this promise made to Abraham. We're a part of. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty exciting. And then verse 13, moving on, on to the second big but. But now we have been brought near. 
Being near to God wasn't new to his people. Isaiah 57, 19 talks about being near through the tabernacle in the Ark of the Covenant. But this new concept is drawing near through the blood of Jesus. And he abolished the laws with its commandments and ordinances, verse 15. He broke down the dividing wall that separated Jews and Gentiles. And this wall was very thick. Within the temple, the wall was very thick. Gentiles were not allowed into the inner court. And there was an inscription uh, found by archaeologists in the 1800s, an inscription in the temple that said, um, Gentiles only have themselves to blame for their death if they pass beyond that point. That is serious contempt. But Jesus abolished the law. He was born under it, lived it, fulfilled it, was pure and righteous. No one could find any fault in him. He fulfilled the law perfectly by becoming sin for us, by being cursed for us, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, cursed is he who hangs upon the tree. The law was thoroughly fulfilled through Jesus. Hallelujah. He died to the law and we died. He was crucified and we are crucified in him. And we are alive in him. And he unites us as one new people, God's new humanity. And our godliness is not shown by living a certain list of rules or God has abolished that. He's opened the way for the nations to come flooding in. And it is vital to understand that we are not under law, but we are under grace. <coughs> grace opens the door to the Gentiles and to world mission. And we have direct access to God through the Son. Not by following laws and rules. We have access and we are accepted. You are accepted. You are a new creation. Did you know that? Look at the person next to you and tell them you're a new creation. You are a new creation. I know some of you might not be looking very new creative today. You might not be feeling very new creation-like. But you are a new creation. And we need to realise our acceptance in God so we can accept others that may seem unacceptable. And we'll never get this, never move forward in our faith until each of us know we are thoroughly accepted by God. He has dealt with all of my rejection, always wanting to fit in, always wanting to be in the in crowd. And giving us that peace that Adam was talking about two weeks ago. I mentioned at the beginning about feeling left being feeling left out, and that often starts in school, doesn't it? Which is a brutal place, by the way. Not being picked, left out of social groups. I don't know if you've ever been rejected for a job, turned down for college or university. It always feels good though when you do get accepted, doesn't it? I remember, so I left school with no qualifications, with very few GCSEs, and of no grades worth mentioning. And um, a few years into my Christian life, I applied to go to Spurgeon's Bible College, but with no qualifications. And I remember that feeling of being accepted into Spurgeon's College. It was good. 
And it feels good, doesn't it, when we are accepted. But how has he dealt with my rejection? He, he didn't wait for me to become like him. Before you or I had done anything, Christ died for the ungodly. You were outside, but now you've been brought near. No matter what you're going through right now, you are accepted. That's what we've heard this morning, isn't it? That's what God's been speaking to us about. You are accepted. You may be suffering loss of health right now. You are accepted in heaven. You may be excluded by a circle of friends. You are accepted in heaven. Cast out by family, accepted in heaven. Demoted at work, accepted in heaven. Scorned on social media, you are accepted in heaven. You are a part of the greatest plan ever hatched. You were out, now you're in, and you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He became like us. He endured total and complete rejection, so we don't have to. So we can accept others. And the church becomes a society, a culture of acceptance. Accepting people and then pointing them to Christ. In secular society, rejection is the norm. We've all had to deal with it. It's all around us. We see unwanted children, elderly, divorced, class and racial hatred. A fractured society which seems prevalent at the moment, really prevalent. But if we are to provide an alternative to this, we have to rid ourselves of some of the things that characterised us before we were Christians. We were all exposed to this rejection before we were saved. And people can get added into church and carry that same mindset with them. And then we apply that same attitude to others and think it's okay when clearly it's not. God had to deal with my issues. And there were many. And there are still some left as well, because I'm not all sorted. But I remember after a few years of being a Christian, I felt that we were superior to other churches. The New Frontiers was the, the church um, movement that was going to the nations and planting churches and reaching people. But God really had to work on me on that, because that's not the case. New Frontiers is doing that, but we're not superior. I had to deal with my attitude towards immigration, to those that were different from me. And we might have attitudes to immigration, but there are people coming here for refuge and safety and economic reasons, and we can actually see these people as an opportunity for the gospel. We heard this week at the New Ground Prayer Days of many refugees being reached and saved in this nation. We heard about an Iranian guy who got saved in Iran, had to flee the country, and until he got here, he'd only been part of an underground church. And since his salvation back in Iran, this man has led over 2,000 people to Christ. Wow. Because he's opened the door to the nations. So we need to accept others as Christ has accepted us. And us accepting others into the body isn't founded on us being some sort of good club with good rules. It's based on the profound healing work of Jesus and what he has done within us. Jesus accepted sinners. Zacchaeus, he met with him, accepted him, loved him, 
and the result was heart change and society change. Let's not be a stumbling block. Let's accept others with differences. And it's important because God wants unity within his believers, not a false unity where we just agree for the sake of peace. No, no. Actually, there are some things that I don't agree with, which is going on in other places, other churches. But we need to unite as believers under the word of God. Prefer one another in love. The gospel should break down bad attitudes to one another. You've got a problem with someone. Go and sort it out. Go to the person. Sort it out in a godly, loving way. Thinking the best of people is a very rare trait today. And it's important that we get these things right because the church is God's plan A, B, C, D, etc., etc., as we look at next week, Ephesians 3.10 says, the manifold wisdom of God is to be known to the world, how? Through the church. That's why this is important. So we need to pray for the church. Revival starts with the church. We pray for the church as we have things like Easter services coming up, baptisms, Alpha starting in May. That's why it's important to gather together as a family as we go on the weekend away. So we're all one in the church, united in one body. There's no such thing as a a Jewish section or a Gentile section of the church. We are one new man, a new humanity that never existed before. And I have now more in common with a fellow Christian in China or Nigeria or Uganda or Brazil than I do with my neighbour or my own family or people that I've known for years. And this body, these people have amazing privileges. We have access to the Father. We are members of this household, all of which is built upon the Apostles and Prophets Foundation with Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. And we're built as this new people on the Old and New Testament, the Prophets and Apostles. And our foundations are sufficient. Christ is building his church upon his gospel. Scripture does not need adding to or changing. We are not at liberty to dig up our foundations. If you start to dig up your foundations, things start to crumble. We are not free to remove unpopular truths about the uniqueness of Christ or the eternity of hell or sexual restraint or the nature of what marriage is. The Bible is clear, and we must not fudge this stuff. Nor is it in need of additional doctrine. This Bible doesn't need adding to. Lastly, we are a dwelling place, a holy temple for which God lives in by his spirit. God had promised a building would be his home, where he would dwell among his people. And ultimately, God fulfills his promises Not in a building, but in a person. And the temple took upon human form when God took flesh in Jesus and tabernacled amongst us. And Jesus declared the temple of his body would be destroyed and raised again in three days. And now us, united in faith with Jesus, every Christian is a temple and every church should be a temple of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter where we meet. 
His church is glorious. It's a modern wonder of the world. Don't listen to what the media says about the church. It is a modern wonder of the world. The church is glorious. The church is his bride that he is coming back for. This is the one thing that will remain. His glorious, wonderful church. It says in Isaiah 62, 12, the church will be called sought out. They shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. The church is glorious. The local church will succeed. The church is the most significant community meeting in this town. Have hope for the church. Have faith for the local church. The church is global. The church will be the praise of the whole earth. Galatians 3, 7 to 8 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. God has brought us in to be a blessing to all nations. Wholeness and wellness is not the end game. It's the mission and purposes of the kingdom of God. We are a royal priesthood. We are members of his family. We are co-heirs with Christ. We get to be part of his global mission, reaching the nations. This is not the great suggestion, by the way. It's the great commission. You are commissioned to reach the nations. You are commissioned to reach your neighbourhood. So remember, when you're in church, however ordinary the people might seem, or unimpressive the surroundings, remember these glorious spiritual dimensions of your church. You are welcomed into the precious family of God. So we need to love these people, love these people around us. You are being built and building upon the foundations of Scripture. So listen to the teaching carefully. Give yourself fully in worship. You are being constructed as a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. So we need to strive for holiness. Not caught up in foolish things. Strive for holiness. I don't think we, we think about that very often or say that, but striving for holiness is God's plan for us. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Striving for holiness. You might be thinking, hey, I've grown up in church, or my nation, my heritage is Christian, I, I know all this. Or you're wondering, how do I be a part of this? Maybe you think, uh, I'm okay, I've got my family, I'm a good person. Well, Colossians tells us as well that we were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Think about that with decisions you have to make this week. Can I be above reproach with this? If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which, was, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, become a minister. 
Our friend Paul, again, is telling us everyone's alienated from God, not just separate, but hostile in mind. And you can grow up in a church, in a Christian heritage or nation, and you are still alienated from God. You know the words, you know the songs, you know the stories, but you don't know him. And I say this to my kids. It's not going to get you anywhere holding on to me or my faith coming to church. You've really got to get to know him for yourself. And that's what God's been speaking to us about this year, isn't it? Us knowing God better. How well do you know him? Jesus came to pay the price for your sin. You're separated from God right now if you don't know Jesus personally. Jesus, the perfect man, came because someone had to pay the price for what you and I have done. And he took the punishment that we all deserved. We were alienated, as we've seen, because of our hostility and sin. But Jesus said, I will reconcile, I will make this right, and the perfectly loving God can accept you. Because he, Jesus, will pay for all sin. No greater love than this has ever been shown. This is Jesus, who was there at the beginning of creation, that all of this was created for. And he came and laid down his life so you and I can know God. You can know God. You can know God. You can receive his free gift of grace that is on offer. And there is the amazing thing is there's nothing you can do to earn it or achieve it. And it's why it's so offensive to people, because they want to do it on their own. He doesn't wait for you to become a better person. But we were utterly helpless. Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. And so what has happened on the cross, somehow we've switched places. The verse I love to quote, 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. He took our sin and we can be more like him in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him. So when I die on this earth, Jesus can present me to the Father and say, this is Ian, he acknowledged me on earth. And I have reconciled him to you, Father, because of what I did on the cross. So do you believe it? Do you accept him? Can you remember a time when you gave your life to Jesus? When you said sorry to him for your sin and hostility and thanked him for dying on the cross. And then the power of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. Can you remember that moment? And if you don't remember, you can come to him now and just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've turned my back on you. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Now, Come into my life with the help of your Holy Spirit and help me follow you. He wants you to be a new creation. He wants you to be part of this family. To be a child of God. This gathering of a new humanity. The temple of the living God. And as we end, I'm just going to read 1 Peter 2. It says, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God 
through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion on a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to. But you, you are church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. Once, church, you were not a people, but now you are a people. You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. This is the only local building that will last forever, and it is a wonder in the heavenly realms. And what gives us our identity is not our colour or culture, it is our chosenness. You are a chosen people, a chosen race. Out of, from all of the races of the world, we have been chosen one at a time, not on the basis of belonging to any group. So let's enjoy it, let's live for it, and let's celebrate what he has done. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. <laughs> Lord God, we thank you that we, who were hostile in mind, who were far from you, we were aliens and strangers, have been brought near. Let that reality be alive to us today and this week as we go, as you have called us now to share your excellencies. You've called us out of darkness into your marvellous light. Help us proclaim that this week as we go out into our schools and workplaces and families and neighbourhoods. Lord God, thank you that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We are God's new humanity. And let us live in the good of that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great week, everyone. See you next week.